Welcome to the Salon Owners Collective podcast. Each week on the podcast, you'll hear stories and tactics from experts and influencers who will provide you with actionable steps to transform your business and your life. I'm your host, Larissa McClemon, and I help salon owners move from stress and overwhelm to lead a life of freedom and profit by implementing a strategic framework to grow and scale their business. So wherever you are in the world, I want to officially invite you to join me in this episode and make an important step in your journey towards more freedom and more profit. Or another, you've thought about expanding your salon business, but have you ever thought about taking over a salon that already exists? This may sound scary. After all, being a new face to a salon environment and not knowing what to expect isn't something that we particularly like. Even if you are the leader, you still feel the pressure of making a good impression, right? In order for people to cooperate, they need to trust and respect the leader. Yes, there are so many important factors to consider when purchasing a salon, but I think one of the most important ones is your team. Who are they? What are their values? Do they align with your vision? The reality is the salon team is already established and you're walking in expecting them to follow your lead. So how do you take over a team the right way? Well, today I'm chatting with the Vivo founders, James and Lyndon, who have done this multiple times over, owning over 90 successful salons across New Zealand. They share their insights and what it takes to do so. So I love this one with a passion. So many good insights. One of my favorites. It's really nice to have James and Lyndon back on the podcast. Let's tune in to hear what they have to say. Lyndon, James, thank you so much for joining me yet again on the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Pleased to have you both here. It's great to be here. Uh, Thanks, Larissa. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. Now, we've had you on the podcast before, but for those who don't know you, um, will you both give us a quick sort of high-level view of who you are, what do you do, how did you get to be doing that, um, of course, and where, where are you in the world? Uh, my name is James Carlisle. I'm the managing director and one of the co-founders with Lyndon of uh, Vivo, Vivo Hair and Beauty, or Vivo Hair and Skin Clinics, I should say. Um, so Vivo has been going for 11 years. Uh, we've grown from one salon to 90 salons now. We employ over 650 staff and we're by far the, the largest um, and fastest growing hair and beauty business in New Zealand um, and you know, probably this part of the world as well. Um, Vivo is, uh, is a business that um, is very focused on training, training and development. We have over 200 apprentices uh, going through their apprenticeship at the moment, which is something we're very proud of. Um, Lyndon and I have been in business for a long time. Before we did Vivo, we did an optometry business uh, together, um, which shared many of the same characteristics that Vivo has got. Um, we were also very focused on training and development there. Um, we've owned other businesses too. Um, so over the years, we've, uh, we've acquired and merged um, well over 100 uh, different sorts of businesses. So We've um, had a lot of experience in meeting new teams and uh, bringing people, you know, into uh, into the fold. I think that's no uh, easy feat. Uh, Ninety salons, six hundred staff. Um, I think that's amazing, and I think as an industry, we've got a lot to learn from you both. Um, anything else to add, uh, uh, Lyndon? Like, how did you two meet? How did you? become business 
Yeah, so I uh, went to university with James's wife uh, a long time ago now. Um, and yeah, early on in our careers, um, we had separate paths and, and we realized that we're both kind of uh, similarly ambitious and um, an opportunity came up for us both to uh, buy into a business together to make it work. Um, and we realized that we we're really aligned in our vision and, and how we approach business and people. And uh, yeah, been working together ever since. Love it. Um, all right. One of the reasons I wanted to bring you back on to the podcast was to talk about the fact that you have uh, not only 90 salons, but I, I think, I believe more than you have bought and taken over, if you will, more salons than that. So I think you've got a lot of experience and knowledge around uh, looking for businesses, deciding to buy a business, making an offer, taking over a salon and turning it into a success. You've done it successfully more than 90 times. So I'd really love to unpack this and uh, from your expertise, let's talk about the top things that we should think about if we want to buy either our first salon or a subsequent second salon? What are the things that we should be thinking about uh, without rocking the boat too much or changing too much uh, of what's going on? Because in my experience, it's either, I don't, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's either uh, highly successful or it's a complete mess when people take over a salon and buy it and, and step in the doors. So uh, what would you say would be the first thing that someone needs to consider when buying and taking over uh, an, an existing salon? Probably probably the prep where, you know, be, before you even decide, before you buy the salon, you know, deciding whether or not you're going to buy it, um, you know, making sure the fit is right, uh, making sure that it is a salon that is going to be good for you. Um, so I think, yeah, doing a bit of... Uh, you're doing the hard work up front to make sure that um, it, it fits with what you're you know, intending to do. Um, wouldn't that be right, Lyndon? Yeah, 100%. It's, it's the basic due diligence, isn't it? We have to think about the location. You know, is, it, is this a location that's going to allow you to be to deliver the type of hairdressing services that you want to be delivering? Um, and then after that, it's about looking at the salon that you're looking at buying and, and what kind of culture they have, what's their reputation, what's the team like, you know, all, all those uh, fundamentals. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, just going back to, you know, the, the number of times we've done this, uh, I think we've probably done it about 80 times. You know, we, we've, we've set up and established around 25 or 30 Greenfield sites. Um, mm -hmm. So... Uh, but early on, you know, the first 50 Bevo salons we had, they were all acquisitions. And um, we were in a big hurry then and because uh, we wanted to get to you know, a certain level of scale. And um, sometimes we bought a few that we probably shouldn't have bought. And uh, we didn't do that due diligence at the start. Or, or maybe, yeah, I suppose just to be generous um, to ourselves, I'd say that we just didn't know what to look for, you know. So... Back then, you know, we would take some salons that uh, we would never take today because we've moved on in our thinking. Um, and an example of that is, is square meters, just the size, the physical size of a salon. Um, in the first few years of Vivo, we bought a few that were quite, had quite a small footprint, um, you know, like 50 square meters. And uh, we don't have any of those left now. We've, we've closed them all um, or merged them you know, with other salons because the Vivo model just doesn't work in a size that small. Um, so I, 
that's an example of when you go to buy a business, you've got to think about where you're going to take it. And does does it have the bones? Does it have the, you know, the, the uh, what, does it have the basics of what you need, you know, to achieve your, your plan for it? And, and for us, a key thing is, is it actually big enough, you know, to put enough stations and basins and, and actually have a proper functioning Vivo team? Um, and 50 square meters just doesn't cut it for us um, anymore. But obviously, we didn't know that at the time. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point. You really do have to go into an acquisition spending a fair bit of time thinking about what you want that finished product to look like. When your salon's going exactly as you imagine it to be, what does that look like? How many staff do you have? You know, what are you charging? And then you have to go backwards and say, well, will the site that I'm looking at allow me to achieve that? Hey, I just wanted to pop in to tell you something. Don't worry, we're going to get back to this awesome episode in just a second. Now, if this sounds like you, listen up. You have a team. You love your team. But you're sick of wondering why and wishing your team would make their sales targets. You want them to be smashing sales because it shows that they're actually looking after their clients really well. Like imagine if you could have a way to make more from the clients that you already have, increase sales without spending more on advertising. Well, it's totally possible and I want to help you. And I want to help you do it with ease, in a classy way. No hard and dirty sales tricks here. Ways to serve your clients, make more, because everybody wins. The team, the client, and of course, you, the business owner. Now, if you want to find out more, just DM me uh, and let's chat. I'll make a plan for you. I'm also going to leave a link for you on the show notes of this episode. All right, let's get back to the episode. It's really interesting to me, actually, because I uh, I reckon 25% of the salon owners that I work with inside of my salon mastery program are moving, relocating at any given time. And that, to me, was quite... Uh, well interesting to learn that this was a constant thing and that is exactly what has happened you know the dream starts quite small Mm -hmm. or we we can't imagine how big we might get Um, and and so our vision is capped hence the size is capped and then actually we do something really successful and before we know it we're popping at the seams I know for me I moved three times uh, in my 20 year span and one of those moves the minute we moved, we were already outgrowing it. Like just, again, you don't know what you don't know until you've experienced it. Yes. Um, so I kind of, what you're saying is look far enough into the future. Yep. So your, your last your last salon, that was the Blue Cactus, right? Yeah. yeah so, so that's our Vivo Lampton Key. <laughs> it is. Which is <laughs> it's which, a nice which, big site. <laughs> which, is, which is great. Yeah, that's a good site. I finally worked um, it out by that time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you do, yeah. you, def, you have to be brave at the beginning and um, because, you know, moving moving three times is very, very expensive. Fitting out three salons is, is a, yeah, tremendous expense. So if you can save yourself that pain, all the better. So, yeah, we, I mean, just, just keeping it topical, um, the story of Vivo Lambton Key uh, from, a, from our perspective is that we had a salon on Featherston Street. Um, so Vivo on Featherston Street. And that was one of those, mistakes we made where it was a very small footprint uh it it actually we've got a bit of a checklist that we 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 use now it's a mental checklist um 
there's a few things that we want a salon to have. And, and one of the most important ones is um, there has to be car parking available. You know, people have to be able to park their car somewhere, you know, somewhere nearby. Um, so it also has to have good street visibility and, you know, good, ideally it would have good foot traffic. And, you know, Featherston Street, uh, as well as not doing particularly well on those things, it, it was also only about 50 square meters. And, and it wasn't a very attractive salon. Um, and so we, once we figured that out, once we got to the point that we were thinking, well, this one doesn't really fit our model, then we had the opportunity to um, yeah, acquire the salon that you used to have, um, Larissa, the Blue Cactus. And, and so we relocated Featherston Street um, to that salon, uh, which was bigger, better profile, um, better located. There was more parking available nearby. And I, I think overnight sales almost doubled, you know, mm, just because yeah. it, it it had much better bones than, you know, than the site that we used to have. And, and the funny thing about that, and we've seen this happen over and over again, is that if you're in the wrong location and it's, it's physically wrong, it's the wrong size, the wrong shape, the wrong, um, you know, it's just not accessible. If you're in the wrong location, you can just work really hard and achieve nothing you know mm. and it feels like you're always running forward into a really strong headwind and if it's an unattractive salon in a poor location it's not just the clients that you can't get it's actually really hard to get staff for as well mm. because yeah. you know hairdressers don't want to work in an unpleasant environment you know, they they love to work in beautiful salons with great vistas you know that they're proud of and, and that make that makes them feel happy so um so we have seen this many times that we, we've had a team that might have been performing, you know, as far as the numbers go, they might have been pretty middle of the road, um, but they've been in a crap location. And you take that team and you put them in a beautiful location or a you know, better location, and suddenly they're superstars. Yeah, yeah. It's the same people. Yeah. They're just in a better environment. Now, I experienced this each time that I moved. And... Uh, the minute that we moved into the new new location and it was beautiful and shiny and new and clean and they just stood taller and their shoulders were back and they walked yep. out and, their, yeah, and their sales leveled up because I, maybe they just rose to the occasion. So That's exactly, yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, client expectations are higher and, uh, and, and hairdressers naturally rise to, to do the best for their clients. And um, yeah, as James said, that, that particular example, we, we've doubled the team without even trying really because just the location allowed for that to happen and we've more than tripled sales and and so you know if you're stuck in the wrong location it really can limit your uh your success yeah that's so interesting so talk to me a little bit about uh taking over a business not necessarily that situation but um buying a business on its current performance yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about that because we've talked about location and how important that that is but what about what it's doing now and the people that it has in there now look but buying a business as as many of your uh, listeners and, and viewers know is, is is pretty complicated and there are brokers involved and and, and it, it can be very um difficult to know what numbers to look at and, and what they will mean um one of the traps i guess we see a lot in the hairdressing industry is, is people trying to sell hairdressing salons based on the profit that they generated two, three, even a year ago. Um, and in many businesses, that's a really accurate prediction of what the business will 
bring going forward. But in hairdressing, it's very, very different. Um, we're a much more, um, you know, we live and die by our staff and, and small team changes can make massive differences in, in your sales of your salon. Um, so my, I guess, advice or, or thing that I always do is we look at what is the business doing last month? What did it do, do three months ago? Um, what it did last year, that's nice, but it doesn't really matter because <laughs> the team might be completely different. And, you know, we've seen salons where um, we bought one salon actually where five of the team left on maternity leave and, and the owner was left uh, by themselves. And, you know, it went from a million dollar salon to, you know, a, a couple of hundred thousand dollars of, of turnover um, in, in a few short months. And, and so you can't be paying a million dollars worth of sales purchase price on a salon that's not generating that income. Mm. Mm, yeah okay I think that's really really relevant uh good reason to uh future proof future proof our business um, <laughs> um okay so if we're going to buy a salon hopefully with a team existing um talk to me a little bit about taking over an existing team like how do you approach that how do you get to know them I know in my um scenario when I sold my business ultimately there was a hundred percent turnover I left that team with 27 strong and there was a hundred percent turnover in 12 months mm. and I think that's pretty devastating yes. um what tips or thoughts or what have you learned around taking over teams because you're not just taking over a business that sells widgets that you know you're on a production line this is a human-based business um what words of wisdom can you share with us? Well, you know, one, first of all, is you're yeah, back to selecting. You know, make, make sure that uh, there's a good culture fit between you and the business. Um, uh, I, I mean, I don't know what happened with um, uh, your salon when you sold. I don't know who bought it or what, how they managed it or who they were or anything. I don't, you know, want to know particularly. But um, <laughs> if uh, if they, yeah, you're, I'm pretty sure. Blue Cactus, I remember it had a really great reputation, had some really great stylists. And um, I don't know whether you're big on competition work or, uh, or, or you know, um, or training. I, I don't know, but I, I'm guessing that the new owner probably had a different view, had a different fit, you know, and, um, and it might have been that the way they wanted to run their business was quite different to how that team uh, was used to it. And yeah, just really jumping ahead of myself, I've, I've just been uh, reading a, an interesting book called Drive by Daniel Pink, which is about the things that motivate people. And um, it, it's not, you know, people get motivated by um, uh, by a lot more than just money. You know, they, they're motivated by the purpose that they have in life, you know, by the way that they see themselves, by their opportunities for learning and development. And, you know, people want to feel like they're doing good in the world, you know, for themselves and for the world and people around them. And a lot of hairdressers, um, most hairdressers, in fact, they get into this industry because they care about making people feel good about themselves. And the the reward, the, mo the most important reward that a hairdresser can get is really that, that look of delight and that happiness that their clients get, you know, when they have, uh, when they've given them a really great service, you know. Uh, talk to any hairdresser and they'll tell you that having their clients leave the salon just beaming from ear to ear is 
is so important to them. You know, that's what gets them up in the morning. They love that, you know, and that's actually more important to them than money. You know, mm-hmm. obviously you have to pay them as well. You got to pay them fairly, but beyond that, it's actually the reason hairdressers are hairdressers is because uh, of that great feeling they get when their clients um, love it. Now, I think I've seen this happen a lot is you get people buying salons who are not from the industry, people who are businessmen uh, or people who are not businessmen, but just think it'd be a good idea to own a hairdressing salon. Um, and, and they don't see that, you know, they, they just think it's about money. You know, they think you just pay your staff and they'll just yeah. do their job and keep coming to work, but it's not just about money. It's about all this other stuff as well. You've got to create an environment that people feel motivated and happy and, and that they want to be part of, and they've got to feel like they've got a purpose. And, I suspect that whoever it was that bought Blue Cactus, they, they probably failed to um, ensure that all that other stuff was happening. And, yeah. and I suppose that eventually the team that was there, they, they scattered and they left and they went to other salons where they could get that feeling, you know, where they could feel like they were part of something, you know, that, that was meaningful to them. Um, and so, uh, so we, what we find is so important when we take over a salon is that we meet the staff, we communicate with them, and we tell them about Vivo's purpose, about Vivo's values, and we get them excited about all the things that Vivo can offer them, you know, which is, you know, it's not about the money, um, although we do pay extremely well, uh, we, we really focus on providing amazing opportunities, training opportunities, development opportunities, giving them uh, opportunities to just be better at what they do, and also having fun and 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 um, having that high level of satisfaction that uh, hairdressers get when they know they're doing a good job and they know that their clients appreciate what they do. Yeah, I think that's something that we've we've learnt, you know, sometimes the hard way in the early days is that when you buy a business, when you buy a hair salon, you really have to know that you're going to make that team's life better. And like James said, it's not necessarily just about money, but you have to make sure they earn at least as well, hopefully better than they were previously. But you have to give them maybe better products to work with or more purpose or more control or more, um, you know, I guess, say in, in how they see their clients. You have to give them a direction that makes them feel engaged and enthusiastic about coming to work. If you're going to buy a business, and you've, you're going to change everything and, and it's going to result in uh, it being more restricted for that team, they, they will leave, like, like happened at, at your previous business. They, the, the new owners weren't able to make your team's life better than it was, made it worse, they left. Um, and that's when, when things go really bad. So you, you have to be confident. And you know there, are, there have been a couple of salons that we've looked at that are performing at their peak. They're amazing. And we haven't bought them because we weren't confident at the time that we could make their life better. But what we did do is, is go and learn from those salons and think, well, how do we apply what they're doing so well to Vivo so that we could go and buy them in the future? Um, and, and that's been a really important thing is, is never going into that sale thinking my way is going to be the best way. You have to understand what, what, why is that team so successful now? What are they doing to create that success? And then either think, can I replicate it? And if, and if you can't, don't buy it. <laughs> it's, it's going to be a disaster. Yeah, I mean, the number one rule is, got, is, is going to be you can't get in, you can't get in, your, in their way. You know, you, you've mm. 
you presumably you've bought a business that's got some great staff and they're good at what they do. The last thing you want to do is be an obstacle, you know, is, is to, you know, suddenly you're the, you're the big problem they've got in their lives. <laughs> you know, everything was great until uh, the business sold and this new owner, Oh my God, it's changed the car, changed this, changed that, you know, yep. he's, uh, you know, we're, <laughs> I, I mean, the, yeah. Hairdressers are also, as a breed, you know, and this is a, a generalization, but generally uh, they don't, they're quite change adverse. You know, they, they tend to um, like things to be the same. And, and especially, especially the hairdressers who've got a large clientele, you know, they, they love their clients. You know, they see them as friends um, and they've, they've probably been doing their hair for a long time. You know, some of them might be doing, you know, onto their second or third generation, you know, of their clients. And, uh, and, and they, they, they don't want to go changing from one salon to another salon. You know, they normally just want to stay where they are and keep seeing their clients. Um, uh, so, you know, you've, you've, you've got to make it pretty uncomfortable for them, for them to start seriously thinking about leaving. But um, unfortunately, a lot of people who buy salons because they just don't think about it, they actually do inadvertently make it really uncomfortable. You know, well, I can see styles. this. I can see this tension point that you're talking about, James, because uh, for the for the owner that's just bought a new salon, like this is it's exciting and it's my new baby and and I've got all this. I want to put my own stamp on. It's like when you buy a new house and you want to rip all the yeah. wallpaper off and repaint it. You want to put your stamp on and make it yours. And you've got these ideas that you've been dreaming for years. And you come in and you're all about the change, improvement, yes. improvement, improvement. And so there's this tension point with people are like, hey, we were, we were doing great before. Yeah. What the heck are you doing? You're upsetting the apple cart. So there's got yeah. to be some grace, maybe. Well, I, well, I think it's a period of time. Like, you know, we, we, we have this with, our, with a new manager for a salon as well as, you know, when we take over. You know, people need to feel uh, valued and heard. And, and they deserve to be if they're a great team that you're taking over. So... Before you make any change, you have to take the time and I guess not be arrogant. You have to go in there and say, what can I learn from, from this team? And you have to ask questions, what works well, what's not working? And they'll tell you the things that aren't working and that's where you can focus your energy. But if, 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 you know, if your team are telling you this works really well and you go and change it without asking them or talking to them about it, um, you're not gonna have them along for the ride. Um, so it really is that, that period of time when you're first getting into a salon where you literally have to spend all your time listening, asking questions and, and getting the answers from your team because they'll tell you, they'll tell you exactly what needs to change for, the, for that salon to be better, for their clients to feel um, more special. Um, and then you have to action those things. Yeah. yeah I think there, there's also an element of, um, it depends here because you, you have to tailor your approach to you know to the individual circumstances um so if if it's your first salon that you're buying then i think taking that approach that lyndon just described is 100 percent correct yeah you, you have to it's just a softly softly you go in and you just observe and you know you you make sure that you're adding value you know to their lives um, and you don't make any big changes very quickly because it's your first salon and, and you're still developing, you're going to be developing what your business model is. But if you already own two and the two that you own are already successful, you know, and you've got a system that's working for you, 
then of course, when you take over this third one, you're going to want to put your systems in place, right? Mm. So, um, so again, as Lyndon said, you, you don't want to be arrogant. You want to come in and be humble and also, you know, just talk to them because it might be that they have one or two things that they do that are a slight improvement on what you've been doing, you know, and, and you got to be mm. open-minded about that. Um, mm. But there's going to be some things that are non-negotiable um, as well. For instance, if, you know, if you happen to have, if you're a L'Oreal salon, your other two salons, and this third one is some other brand, then you're going to want them to change to L'Oreal because you're going to want that consistency across your three, your three salons. Um, and if, you know, if you're using a, you know, a point of sale system in your, your previous two, and this new salon has a different point of sale, well, you're just going to need to change that too because you can't be running different systems. So there's going to be some things that you're just going to have to change immediately. Yep. And a key thing about that is in our experience, we have found it's best to make all those changes as quickly as possible. You know, basically on day one, um, yep. get it all out of the way, rip the bandaid off. Um, and then a week later, people have adjusted and life just carries on. Um, the worst thing you can do, and we've done this before and learned from our mistake, the worst thing you can do is drip feed the changes mm. over a long period of time because then what happens is a few weeks later, the staff uh, start, um, you start finding out that they're stressed, they're anxious, they're unhappy, they're just living in a state of what feels to them like constant flux and they just want it to end. They, they just want to yeah. go back to some, have some sense of normality. and. Um, uh, you know, human beings are incredibly adaptive. Uh, if you make all those changes upfront, then they'll adapt very quickly and soon the new way will seem like the new normal. Um, and they'll go back to sleeping well at night <laughs> and, uh, and being happy, you know. So yeah, that, that's what we have found. I, I love that advice because it's actually counterintuitive to what I would have thought would be the way to do it. My, yeah. uh, but I've not bought and sold salons. Um, yeah. I, I started mine and just grew it from the ground up. So yeah. my natural incl incline would be to slowly drip change and you know not to put too much pressure on. But that that just makes complete sense. Put the bandaid off now, yeah. sort it all out, and and settle on something new, a new way of doing things quickly. Yes. Yeah. People just really crave that stability and uh, mm. yeah, living in a constant state where they're not sure what's going to change this week at work. It, it's yeah, it's not conducive to a happy environment. So I have to say, you know, typically uh, you guys fall outside of this box. Typically uh, a lot of salon owners like myself are creative entrepreneurs and creative entrepreneurial types love change. We like to change things and keep life interesting. And so I reckon uh, as a business owner, I reckon we're hard, we're hard to deal with <laughs> until you get, yeah. you know, like you guys have learned a lot, but I think in early yeah. days, you know, I think we forget the perspective of a team member and how challenging someone who loves change and craves change and growth. The majority of our team, as you said, James, don't actually like change. And I think we put a uh, we put a bit of hardship on our teams, and we should take just a little bit of a hard look at ourselves and go, you know, yeah. a little bit of systemization and, and uh, step by step process is actually useful for our people, despite our own wants and desires. <laughs> I think the big thing with that kind of change is if you have big dreams, you're taking over your first salon, you want it to be a certain way. 
you know, before you make that change, probably the step that will allow you to make that change successfully is to get your team on board with it. You know, if your team see your vision, understand your vision and believe in it, and also feel like they've got some input. You know, no one likes to feel swept along where they've, they've just have to go with the flow and they've got no choice, especially if they're an existing salon team that, you know, are, are successful in their own right. So, you know, it's just about tempering your the enthusiasm and making sure that you bring everyone else along with you. Um, and, and also, as, as we talked about before, just being humble enough to say, well, actually, I value your input into my vision and how can we incorporate that to, to, so that we're all in this together. It's not just my way or the highway. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, before we wrap up, I've just got one sort of last question. Uh, at some point along the line, you decided to bring in beauty. Where did, where did that idea come from? Has it been a successful thing? Uh, any just sort of thoughts on combining know, the we, two? Because we, we started with beauty. You know, we yeah. started with uh, Vivo Beauty and, um, and we, we added hairdressing later on. Mm. Uh -huh. yeah so what percentage of your salons now are both uh a very small number we have um 15 salons that have skin clinic um so yeah we we started in in beauty and we strongly moved away from that towards hairdressing for for many years um it, it's a completely different um ball game it's a completely different type of team member and, and approach and philosophy so it's something that we've been wrestling with for 11 years and, and we feel we're finally on the right track we're, we're making some really good progress in that area um, but it's not as natural a fit as perhaps it might seem from the outside for, for people and, and yeah, yeah. hairdressing is um is is a large part of our business yeah like 95 percent of our sales is, is hairdressing so i mean we're definitely a hairdressing business first um but you know we we have all these uh skin clinics that um that have started over the last probably two years or maybe three years um we've we've really started to see those grow and now they're getting similar sorts of results in terms of year-on-year -year growth and profitability as as a hairdressing and a big part of that is that we really focused on skin you know, hence the change from talking about beauty to talking about skin. Um, and uh, we found that a lot of our hairdressing clients are very open to, um, to you know, seeing us for their skincare um, needs. Uh, and, you know, we, we've talked about already about the fact that people need to feel a sense of purpose um, in what they do. It's not just about money. And um, the problem with beauty as an industry is there it, it's almost commodity based there's a lot of things like you know nails and manicures pedicures you know that kind of thing where you can there's so many places that offer them you know and, and they don't charge much and you can go down to the mall and get it done here and there and um and i guess what what we saw is that um beauty therapists didn't really feel a great sense of satisfaction from doing um all those manicures and pedicures, yeah. They they really wanted to feel like they were achieving some, you know, some something really positive with uh, with their time. And uh, what we did, and this goes back to listening to your staff and listening to your team, 
is, you know, we, we listened to our beauty therapists and we found that the thing that gave them the greatest pleasure was uh, helping clients with their skin, you know, helping people achieve better skin outcomes. And um, when we realized that that was the thing that really spun our beauty therapist wheels um, and it was a purpose that they could really, they wanted to get behind and, and we, we wanted to support them in, uh, that's why we pivoted, you know, our beauty business to being a skin clinic. Um, and now it's a business where we have a highly engaged team of skin therapists who absolutely love what they do and they feel a great sense of value um, from doing it. And, you know, we wouldn't be doing the skin clinic today if we hadn't, you know, been open-minded and willing to listen, you know, to what our team was telling us. Mm. Yeah, probably probably the warning that I'd give your listeners is that, um, you know, we, we've bought a lot of salons that have empty empty beauty therapy rooms. And they're empty because the original owner thought, oh, I'm going to add beauty because it sounds like a natural fit to, to my existing business. I've got the space. Um, they try it. It doesn't really work. Um, and, and so then they give up and, and it's, it's too hard. So it is a completely different business model. It's a completely different focus. Um, the marketing is different. Everything about beauty is different than hairdressing. So it's not something that you can easily add on. And even, um, you know, getting hair clients into the beauty rooms is not as easy as it sounds. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I would say that unless you've got the time and the energy to really focus on the beauty side of your business as well as the hair side of the business, stick to one thing and do it well. That, that's definitely a, a much more successful model. I, I actually agree with that in any case. I think too many owners get sucked into shiny objects of new different revenue streams that could help uh, grow their business. And I actually think you're better to have one revenue, uh, well, I'm talking about all sorts of hair services, yeah. but just do one thing and do it well, at least till you get to the million dollar mark. Because if yeah. you can get to the million dollar mark, then usually you can be free enough to think about other things. But otherwise we're spread too thin, too small, not scalable, and we get caught up in overwhelm. Um, and I see it happen a lot. Yeah. So I'm really pleased that... Um, I'm pleased for that warning because I think it's too easy to think it's a natural fit. And I've mm. there are very few businesses that I see it successful and do well. Yeah. 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 Completely agree. Um, it, uh, yeah, for many years, it's hard to focus on more than one thing at a time. Right. You know, focus, focus is, you know, yeah. <laughs> one thing really. You focus yeah. right on it. And, um, and for many years, our focus was, was hairdressing. You know, and, and that's that's how we've managed to board Vivo into the business that it is. Um, and uh, now that we, you know, like I said, over the last three years, we've um, put a renewed focus on skin clinic, but it it's only really been possible because we've achieved a certain scale where we yes. can have people whose job it is to focus on skin, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So we've got a you know, very talented um, management team there uh, really great trainers. Um, and you know, it's, they're the ones who are focusing on skin clinic day to day. And you, you need that focus because like Lyndon said, it is a completely different business. Yeah. You know, you, you, yeah. you cannot just open a beauty room, put a beauty therapist in and think, right, that's done. You know, it, <laughs> it actually requires a lot yeah. of management and a lot yeah. of time. Okay. And, um, yeah. and yeah, it, it I don't, any hairdresser plan to do it unless you're also a trained beauty therapist um, who's also a hairdresser. 
then my advice like Lyndon's is don't rethink. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I concur. Uh, all right. Um, as business owners, what is a quote or a mantra or something that uh, keeps you focused or even as a partnership keeps you together? What's something that you can share with us? Yeah, at, at the moment, our um, uh, focus for our senior management team, um, our, our, the ones who manage our salons, is that um, if you're not making mistakes and acknowledging them, you're not growing. And so it's really about embracing mistakes as um, powerful tools to, to improve and, and not sweeping them under the carpet and pretending everything's perfect. So that, that's, a, a, I guess, a really strong focus for us at the moment. And um, it really helps everyone um, improve our performance. I love that. I think that's great. All right. What about a, a book, a resource, a podcast or something that you consumed? James, you've already mentioned one uh, that you think all salon owners should get their hands on. Um, one of one of my favorites, I think I might have mentioned it last time I was on here, is uh, by the late uh, Tony Shea. It's called Delivering Happiness, and it's one of the best books I've ever read about um, how to create a great culture in a business and how to really um, focus on, on being the best at delivering the very best experience for your customers. So it's a really great book. Yeah. Um, so like I, I mentioned, Drive by Daniel Pink, uh, which is, you know, an excellent book about... Um, about people really um, and if you're going to run a business you need to understand people and and how to how to work with them so yeah highly recommend that um, as far as a mantra or a quote you know i, I think my one is, is uh, don't sweat the small stuff you know because people just there's a lot of small stuff that happens in business you know you, you're a lot of a lot of niggles a lot of things that pop up and and a classic example is if you buy a um, hair salon or, or any business, you know, you're, you're going to get things like um, someone will come in with some voucher that was sold 10 years ago, right? For the business and say, oh, I want to get on a pay using this 10-year-old tattered voucher. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, uh, we've, we've had this happen and you'll get a phone call from staff and go, oh, I don't think we should, you know, we, we're not obligated to take this, are we? Blah, blah, blah. If, if it's just a one-off, you know, if it's just one, don't sweat it. Just, mm. just do it, you know, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it's about reputation. You want people, you want your clients to be happy. You want your staff to be happy. And, and quite often, you know, if you have to take a small financial hit by honoring some old expired voucher or replacing some product that didn't work or, um, or whatever it is, you know, if it's, if it's actually just a minor thing, don't sweat it just yeah. just do it you know make life easy for yourself and, yeah. and for your team you know and and just yeah take the easy road because when you're running a business there's a lot of stuff that's hard so don't make things harder than they need to be well said well look i appreciate i feel like we could talk for hours uh, i do appreciate your insights um and the experience that you bring uh, we must have you back again. Seems to be a regular annual thing. Um, thank you both, Lyndon and James, for sharing your words of wisdom. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, Thanks for having us. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much, James, Lyndon, for sharing your super valuable insights with us today. It's all, always so nice hearing from people with tons of experience, and it just proves that consistency can bring success in the long run. I love it. I would love to have you boys back on the podcast again. Regular check-ins, I'm sure. 
Right. I would love to hear what your thoughts were on this episode. What did it bring up for you? What ideas? What potholes have we stopped you from falling into? Anything in particular, grab your attention. Keen to know. So come and let me know in the Profitable and Successful Salon Owners Facebook group. The link to join us is in the show notes on the webpage of this podcast. I would love to learn what you have to say. All right. Catch you same time, same place next week. Ciao for now. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the podcast. Tune in every week as I reveal the latest insights and advice on what it takes to truly master your inner salon CEO and master your salon success. Subscribe to the Salon Owners Collective podcast on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at www.salonownerscollective.com. But make sure to join me in my Facebook group for answers to common questions and much, much more. Thanks for listening and I look forward to tuning in with you again next week.